Welcome to Big Bones, Thick Skin, the podcast that talks to marginalized actors about their experiences in the entertainment industry. I'm your host, Claire Alpern. This podcast is near and dear to my heart because I am a plus-size actress and have had to navigate a very specific journey in the acting world. Here, I'll be holding space and having conversations with other plus-size actors, as well as those who identify as trans, Black, Asian American, queer, gender non-conforming, tall, short, old, young, and more, to tell their stories and share their feelings of being mis- or underrepresented in entertainment. We want it to change. We want to see everyone represented, but we need to talk about it first. And this is the first step in doing so. Welcome to Big Bones, Big Skin. It's our responsibility to acknowledge that the land where we live and produce is occupied land. Chicago, Illinois is the territory of the Potawatomi, the Kickapoo, the Miami, and the Peoria peoples. We pay our respects to elders, both past and present. Hello. This episode, I am talking with Carissa Morell Myers, who is a huge part of the Chicago theater scene as an actor, writer, casting director, and advocate. She casts for Chicago-based Straw Dog Theatre Company and Our Perspective Asian American Plays, which is an arts organization that supports Chicago-based Asian Pacific Island Desi American playwrights by granting playwriting residencies, hosting playwriting classes, producing live and virtual play readings, and more. In addition to this, Carissa was also featured in American Theater Magazine's 2020 roll call, 13 Theater Workers You Should Know, which highlighted her work towards diversity in the industry. She says, quote, as a casting director, I believe that it's my job to be an advocate for the production, for the director, and especially for the actor. I knew of Carissa again through the Chicago theater community, but we had never actually met. I really wanted to hear her unique perspective, so I reached out and she was gracious enough to sit down and chat with me. This was our first face-to-face conversation. Here's my interview with Carissa Morell Myers. Hi. Hello. It's nice to officially meet you. <laughs> it's nice to meet you too. I know because we just we had just chatted on the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's always different, you know, seeing I mean. Yeah. As close as we can get to seeing face to face. Right. Exactly. Um, so we, we've not met yet, although I've seen your work. Um, I've seen you in the community a lot cause I'm a little creepy like that. Um, <laughs> um, so how has your experience been here? It's been really good. I mean, I felt like, you know, I felt very fortunate when I started getting a lot more involved in the community here, just to kind of discover how weirdly warm people are and helpful and absolutely supportive and supportive in so many ways that I was not expecting. I was expecting cutthroat. I was expecting super, uber duper competitive. Um, you know, cause that was what I 
you know, I just assumed it would be like, and it's just not that way. Not to say there isn't competition. I think healthy competition is a good thing. Um, and people are hustling a lot, you know, that we're working, but there's also a sense of camaraderie that I was not expecting, but I am so grateful for. I have met just some truly incredible people here in Chicago. Um, we're getting the chance to to work with these people. It's just, it's just such a gift. It's such a gift. Like I, I, um, sometimes I'll get to talk with, uh, people that are about to graduate, um, or other students from UH that are, you know, the current students now. And I'm constantly trying to like, Pitch Chicago. <laughs> Chicago to them. I'm like, you want to come here. Trust me. Like it's, it's incredible. Like, um, sometimes I'll meet with, you know, new, newly, well, but I was able to do that. I'd meet with like new graduates that were like moving here. Um, I somehow I convinced some of my own friends to move here just because I'm like, there's just so much, there's just so much work to do. And it's such a great community to, to do it in. Um, and you know, I, I, not to knock New, New York or, or LA, you know, or their places, but you know, I, I feel like I, I've talked to a number of my friends that, you know, they went to LA or they went to New York and it seems like it's just a lot harder there in terms of trying to get work, you know, well, I'll talk to them and they'll be like, well, you know, I, I took a class or I had a callback. And while that's, I don't want to like sneer at that. I'm like, but you, are you working? Like, are you doing, are you working on your craft? Like, are you actually performing? And usually the answer is no. And that mm. scared me. Like, I was like, there's no mm -hmm. way that I want that to be my experience where I'm, where my sole focus has to be on survival jobs. Yeah. Um, and yeah. not to say that that isn't the case here. It's just, it's just a lot easier <laughs> to do yeah. that here in Chicago and also act and, you know, do all the other things that I, that I want to do. So yeah. It was a good choice. It was a really good choice. Good. I'm glad. And I'm, you know, to kind of follow that, I'm from New York City. Okay. And, um, you know, and I started acting there. And, you know, and I'm not knocking New York because it will, you know, it'll always be my home. And and I still have a, a large community there, but, you know, a lot of actors. And I really um, admire them and respect them. Um, but I think you really, you're, you, you have very good observations where it seemed like, I feel like here I have uh, hmm, a fuller life. And this is me. This is, I'm not, you know, it's not because of where I live, although I think it is. Um, or, you know, and, 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 and the combination of who I am and where I live now. Whereas when I was acting in New York, uh, it was the survival job and if I was not in something, it was, I would spend all of my free time in classes, networking, just busting my ass. And so the, that bet between my day job, which was not very fulfilling and, and all of this, I had no other identity. And so it's like, you just spend all of your time busting your ass for a, a hopeful something and then trying to survive at the same time. And, uh, and that, and I actually walked away from acting because I was just like, I can't, this is ridiculous. Like, and at the end of the day, I'm busting my ass at the time. It felt like for something that's just completely narcissistic, like, who am I helping? What, what am I leaving? What kind of legacy am I leaving in the world by constantly trying to, you know, act? Um, and so I did, I walked away from it. And, and my experience of Chicago, the community here is incredibly similar. I mean, it's just, I, I mean, coming from that where it is incredible 
just so competitive. Um, and you're lucky to kind of forge wonderful friendships within it. But I would say it's more competitive than friendly, whereas here it's way more friendly than competitive. And and you're here you're competing against friends. So you're not really competing. You're just like, you know what? You got it. That's awesome. Something else will come along and I'll get it. You know, it's it's like it's just so just so supportive. Um, and that's why I mean I feel like by by I feel like my my life being more full because I can focus. It's not all about oh my God, I have to, you know, what am I going to do next? What am I going to do next? It's, 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 it's about, oh, okay. I can spend some time with my kids and my husband and Mm -hmm. oh, I can spend some time traveling and, uh, and the acting will always be here. I won't miss out on anything. And the relationships you make here mean something Mm -hmm. both Mm -hmm. personally and hopefully professionally, because we all want to work with each other. Um, so that's my little soapbox. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did want to focus a little bit on the reason why I contacted you. Yeah. Uh, because you are a casting director. I mean, you're an actress, obviously, an actor, I will say. Um, you're also a casting director. Yes. For your casting director for. So I am the uh, casting director for Straw Dog Theater Company. And I'm also in the casting director for our perspective Asian American plays. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm and, familiar with that. That's cool. Uh, yeah, we uh, we we are a an organization. We're actually going through our 501c3 process right now, so that's very exciting. Uh, but it's it's a it's a place where um, Asian American playwrights can get resources, and also uh, we it. In, in the before times, we would do readings periodically throughout the uh, throughout the year, um, pub, like public staged readings. Um, we've hosted them at Steppenwolf, Goodman Theater, Victory Gardens. Uh, That's great. Yeah, and actually, my show Fragmented was produced through our our perspective. Oh, nice. Yeah. Very nice. Cool. Yeah. Um, and I also, you have been featured in American Theater Magazine. Correct. Yeah. So I was part of their, what was it like fall? Uh, no, sorry. Winter 2020 or 2021. I'm not sure how that actually goes. Um, the roll call uh, as for, primarily for my work as a casting director. Yeah. But, but also with it and they, they managed to, they managed to, they, they also uh, pointed out how much diversity is important to you. Yes. Um, and using that as a both a casting director and 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 I would imagine as a playwright and an actor. Um, tell us a little bit about what brought you to becoming so vocal about uh, and active mm-hmm. uh, in trying to um, integ- integrate. Is that right? I don't know. Uh, anyway, make things more diverse um, as it clearly needs to be. Yeah. So I mean, I. I was an actor and I was very frustrated when I would go to shows. I mean, even here in Chicago, like I felt that I kept seeing so many casts with just white people. I mean, or primarily uh, so. And I just, it, it bothered me. It bothered me because I could tell that the stages were not reflective of the community (laughs) that lives here. Um, and I had just come from Hawaii, where the opposite is true, mm. where they don't, they are, they're, 
they have the most colorblind um, casting practices in Hawaii because it's such a melting pot. You mm -hmm. know, white people are in the minority there. So when you look at the stages, it's just whoever is best for the role gets the role. And the best person is usually a brown person. Mm. So um, that is where I had just come from, you know, have seeing and it was it was a breath of fresh air, you know, because originally I was in Boise, Idaho, and it was kind of the same thing where I saw mostly white people playing all the good roles, all the lead roles. And then if there were any people of color at all, we were lucky to be featured at all. We were in the background. We were in the ensemble. That was mostly my experience in undergrad as well. I was in the ensemble. I was in the chorus. Wow. Um, was never given a lead role in a play. So, you know, so I, when I moved to Hawaii, I, I saw that it was possible. I saw that it was a beautiful thing to happen. And then when I came here to Chicago, I was reminded of what my experience had been in, in Idaho. So, and as an actor, I don't have the amount of power that people behind the table do. I just, I just don't. The best I can do is to come into auditions, be prepared, act my butt off, try to get a role. And then when I do get it, I'm on stage. And that's, that's what I, that's what I can do. So I felt very compelled to get behind the table. Mm. I, at the time was an ensemble member with rediscover theater, which is unfortunately now defunct, but I talked to the artistic director and I just straight up said, I want to help with casting. Um, at the time the, the theater had actually been, uh, producing very diverse work. So I wasn't like, I was like, let me help fix this problem. I just wanted a chance to have my voice heard in making these casting decisions. Um, and then from there, I, I, I went to Straw Dog. And when I was interviewing for the position, I was, I, I, I was interviewed um, by Konomi Jones, who was the cast director at the time. And, you know, she's moved on to Victory Gardens. And then Lita Hoffman was who was the artistic director at the time. Um, and I basically told her, I was like, listen, I have an agenda straight up. Like, I, <laughs> like I'm not gonna lie to you and say that I don't. Um, but I am really passionate about seeing diversity on stage. And when I say diversity, I mean, in all forms, I mean, you know, racially diverse, I mean, um, like body type diverse, ability diverse, gender diverse, just because I felt like, I had grown up never really seeing my face on the TV or on the stage. Right. And I didn't want, I don't want people to have that same experience. Mm -hmm. I want them to be able to look at the stories that are being told to them and be able to see themselves, not just being forced to have empathy for the characters, because I feel like that is something that I, that I had to kind of learn. Right. Where I would try to put my put myself in the shoes of whatever white character I was being shown. I'm really I'm really good at that. I know how to yeah. do that. Um, <laughs> I just but I was like, it's not. It's just not. It's not enough. It's, it's right. not enough. People need to be able to see themselves on stage. Um, and I think that by doing that, you will be able to appeal to a broader number of folk to mm -hmm. bring them into your theater, so that they get. We can all have this kind of community-based experience and conversations around mm -hmm. what we're seeing, mm -hmm. you know, um, I've been to plays where I'm sitting, I've sat in the audience, you know, even here in Chicago. And sometimes I'll see a diverse stage, um, of actors and I'll look in the audience and it's mostly white people. Like I'll be one of the few people of color. And I'm like, this is outrageous. There are people of color on stage. You should be promoting this to the communities that right. live here in Chicago so that they can come and see. 
anyway, that's a whole other conversation. Mm. But, um, but mm. I, just, I just felt really compelled to kind of champion that cause. And it, I'm not saying that I'm the only one. There are a lot of really fabulous casting directors in this city that are doing that work. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just happen to be a little bit more <gasps> annoying about it. <laughs> <laughs> which I, I know it's kind of like a, a bad word for for a woman to say that no but, but, I, no. but it's true like I'm, I'm okay with being strident about mm-hmm. you know championing diversity on our stages just because I think it's 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 time we've, we've waited long enough to see you know ourselves playing the the main characters um and I think it's a twofold thing you know I think that we need to be producing more diverse stories People yeah, oh, buy, you know, a more diverse um, playwright pool. Mm-hmm. And um, and also we need to be seeing other like well-known plays with people of uh, more diverse backgrounds at the same time. I think yeah. tackling this issue from both of those um, directions, I think is paramount to creating more diversity on stage. Yeah. So what can we do about that? I know what you're doing. What would you suggest, you know, anybody else that maybe doesn't feel like they have the same kind of power, you know, behind the table that you do, what can we do, um, to help with that? Yeah. I mean, I, and I will say upfront that I'm not a huge fan of cancel culture right? Um, or like right. call out culture. I think sometimes it can be very effective, but I think accountability culture is more effective and it'll create a conversation for versus a shutdown. Yeah. Um, I think that, Talking to the theaters that you go to, um, if you're just, let's say you're just an audience member or even mm-hmm. an actor, talk to these people that run these theaters. Tell them what you want to see on their stages. Because if no one tells them, yeah. how will they know? And it's even better when it comes from their own subscriber base. I mean, my God, if you're somebody that's like giving them money, you know, and you're demanding to see more diversity on those stages, it generally, they're, they, I feel like people in charge are a little more willing to listen. Yeah. Um, if you're a director, you know, like I, like I love working with directors. I think, you know, anytime we're doing a casting process, I, I'm always so fascinated to hear like their ideas of like who they see for the role. And that my job is to expand their horizons a little, just a, li- a little bit more and just be like, all right, well, have you considered maybe this kind of person or I'll just bring that kind of person in and not tell them. And then we can have a conversation um, about it afterwards. Uh, but kind of keeping like trying to keep an open mind when you're thinking about who you see in the roles, because People, regardless of how good their intentions are, people have biases. It's just a fact. I have biases, you have biases, like everyone has biases. But the the smart thing to do is to not pretend like they don't exist, but to just say, I have a bias. I know that I don't know everything. So what can the people in the room offer me that, yeah. I, that we can incorporate into this conversation as to who to cast or who to consider for these roles. Yeah. Um, and I think that's especially important for, for white directors as they're looking, because they, we all grew up around the same time, you know, for around the same age. And even if they're, especially even if they're older, I mean, like, so they've been very influenced by the things that they have already seen and the people that they've been told can play certain roles. Um, you know, cause I'll see, Juliet's right. Let's you know the Romeo and Juliet thing. I mean, it's a pretty typical thing. When I say Juliet's being cast, it, you know, when you think of Juliet, your mind, no matter how unbiased you try to be, I see a lithe white girl with long blonde hair. That because that is the image that has been put 
you know, forward for so many years. So we have to kind of shift our thinking and say, okay, well, that's what I know. That's what I've been told. Now, how do I break that cycle and think of something else? Yeah. And consider other kinds of people for that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, for me personally, and I, and I think for any human being, especially of the white variety, um, that, yeah, acknowledging that bias, not judging it, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because there's going to be plenty of judgment, you know, that we're going to be battling internally, externally, uh, right or wrong. Acknowledging that you have a bias and then going, okay, that's what I see. Let's think, you know, like uh, who else could possibly also mm-hmm. give me what that person makes me feel or give me what I think that person would make a good character choice yeah, um, from someone else. And then having, I think you're, I, yeah, absolutely right. Cause you can't necessarily do that by yourself. Um, having those other people in the room that you have given carte blanche permission. I don't even want to say permission, but you have like created a space where they can say, yeah, uh, yeah, that's, that's been done before. What about this? What about yeah. this? You yeah. know, and I, um, and, and I think the, the, the fact that you can say that's been done before will get any director to be like, oh yes, you're right. I don't want to do whatever anyone else is doing. I, you know, like, cause that's the whole thing. Like they want to do something new and different and it's just yeah. like, oh, you're right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, it's really, um, it's a very interesting time. And, um, you know, clearly everybody has some kind of responsibility to help fix the situation. Um, mm-hmm. and I think, uh, many white people are having a hard time understanding what role they should and can play in that and what responsibility is actually theirs without getting defensive and, mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, just walking away from the whole thing and saying, well, I don't have a problem. Um, I mean, everybody does. Everybody does. Anyway, um, so let's go back. So you're from Boise. I am, yes. You started acting pretty young? Yes. Yeah, so, um, so my first actual performance was when I was three years old. I sang in our church. It was a rather large church. Um, and I think I... I actually remember it, which is weird. I mean, I, I have, I have yeah. some memories from when I was three, and that was definitely one of them. Um, and I was performing basically ever since then. Like, I, I acted in our, our church skits, in our church plays. Um, I was homeschooled. And uh, when I was 16, my parents were basically like, well, we've taught you everything we can, so why don't you just go to college? Um, so I took... So you went to college at 16. I did. Yeah. So Holy I took, I took a bunch, all those, I took all the tests. I took the ACT, SAT, PSAT. I took some like compass tests for the school to see if I was like smart enough to get in and I was smart enough. So, um, yeah. So I started at 16, which was completely wild because I was, yeah. I, like I said before, I grew up in a very conservative house and um, my dad and has been homeschooled this whole, and like, been homeschooled. wow. Yeah. I was, uh, I showed up to college knowing 
less than nothing. I felt like I was so nervous. I was like, I don't know if anyone's going to like me. I was basically jail bait. I mean, it was so <laughs> like, you know, going into that theater department at 16 years old being like, I'm here. I don't know who I am or what I'm doing here. <laughs> trying to figure it out. Um, Oh my God, yeah. they must have been like enraptured. Like, cause you're, you know, like you're in this, this alien, you know, in the, in the, uh, in the outer space way, um, where not only do you look different than a lot of other people, especially mm -hmm. in Imagine Boise, oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. but you've been homeschooled this whole time and you're young. What yes. made you decide to, to do theater? So I had, um, I had kind of started this theater group at my church and had been directing, uh, like plays that I had either written or, you know, uh, stolen basically. Like I, you know, I, I wrote a, an adaptation of Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe before I knew of a, that copyright was like a thing. Um, so that's terrible. And I'm like, I'm kind of ashamed of that. But, well, I was, I was like 16 at the time. I didn't know, I don't know shit. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So then I, so my first semester at school, I was, I took uh theater 101 and music 100 and I was like, okay, I'm going to decide if I want to do the theater route or if I want to do the music route. And I just loved my theater professor and I loved that class so much more than I liked music 100. Um, so then, <laughs> sorry. I, um, and so I decided to be a, so I, I decided to be a theater major. Um, there was a time when I was stupid enough to think that I could do music and theater at the same time. So I was a double major for a while. And then I realized that the amount of time that it would take me, I could just go and get a master, you know, like I was yeah. like, no way. So I, um, so I have my bachelor's in, in, in theater arts. And then I also have a minor in vocal performance, um, in for, for music as well. So I just, so I kind of, I kind of mixed the two up. Um, I was known in the, in the art theater department as like the opera girl, which I was like, Sure, I'll take it because this is some way to stand out. Um, I love opera. I, I trained at opera. I don't. I'm not particularly good at singing opera, especially not anymore because I'm out of practice. But um, yeah, it was really wild. Like I didn't know so many things before going to college, and then I learned so much so, so quickly. <laughs> yeah, but it was it was quite the experience. I remember my my first act, first first second acting class. I said the word fuck for the first time. Wow. That's like my favorite. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on this, on this, on your show, but, um, but I said, I said in the first time in, in like a, in an exercise and he pulled me aside after class and was like, was that the first time that you've ever said that word? And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> and I'm not a virgin either. <laughs> no. And he was like, okay. He knew, he knew I was lying to him. <laughs> I wonder if you had that moment where like you probably don't even realize it where you say it and then you're like you realize that you just said it and you're totally like <laughs> I probably did I probably like had like a you know like a aneurysm after I said I to check in and make sure that I was like okay yeah um, but yeah like it just like being in the theater department like I I learned so much about like who I was going to be as a person I mean like Obviously, the years like 16 to 21, I mean, those are formative years for people anyway. And I spent them all at that theater department, mm -hmm. you know, um, and I learned a lot. And I will say that 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 particular department was pretty competitive as far as, you know, people trying to be the best, not yeah. only for themselves, but like to beat other people. So that was kind of the and it was um, 
like it was it was challenging. I mean, our teachers were really tough on us um, in a way that helped us grow. Um, I remember this one time, this guy, one of my uh, fellow actors, we were at a, we were doing a show, and he showed up five minutes late to his call to a performance, and the director, who was a professor at the school, she fired him from the oh, show. Oh wow! You know, because she was like, "You have to learn that if you are in the real world, if you show up late, you will be cut from the show." Um, so she made this. ASM go on out do his role with a script. Oh my god! ASM enjoyed that experience very much, but it but that moment terrified me. I was yeah. like, I will never be late to anything, and that that has you know lasted you know to today where I you know I showed up to this like ten minutes early. <laughs> so um, yeah, so I I've never I'm never late to an audition. I've never been late to a call. Like I I turn everything in on time. Like I. But because it was because of that one moment, because I saw consequences yeah. as opposed to her just being like, hey, don't do this thing. If you do it again, like it was, it was just like you were late once you were done. Um, um, yeah. And I just I just think that, you know, learning to have those like high standards of professionalism has really helped me not only in my theater career, but also in life. Hmm. Hmm. How uh, wh- what did your parents think of you being in theater? You know, I think. For my dad, my dad has been very supportive of it from the beginning. I mean, he, I think he actually was in Macbeth at one point in college. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we've got like some other like actors in the family. I mean, you know, community actors, mm-hmm. um, that, they don't do it professionally because they're smart and they have career. <laughs> um, but my dad has always been like really supportive, um, which I've been really grateful for that. He would come to every show that I was in at school. Um, not not the ones in Hawaii, unfortunately, just because they're so far away. But they did come see he both he and my mom. They flew out to see my last show. I was in, I played Ruth in Blythe Spirit um, wow. at uh, at the Kennedy Theater there. I actually got an award for it, which nice. whatever. Um, <laughs> and I shouldn't say just whatever, but like it, I should be honored. I am. Um, and then he actually he actually drove out to see Top Girls. Uh, yeah, Remy Bumpo, uh, which was fabulous. It was the I think the second show that he's seen me in um in chicago yeah Mm. but uh my mom it kind of took her a while for her to acclimate to the idea of me being an actor and an artist um my mom's filipino you know there there's a reason there aren't a lot of asian Mm. actors because i mean as stereotypical as it is there is still in the culture this rather prevalent idea that to be successful you have to follow certain paths Mm -hmm. Uh, when my mom was going to college, her parents told her that she could only be a doctor, a psychologist, um, an architect or an engineer, and that she needed to pick which one of those degrees she was going to go for. Um, I'm surprised that even that psychologist even made the cut. Oh, that was on the bottom rung. Oh, okay. <laughs> lawyer. lawyer was also in there. Um, but yeah, it was like kind of the bottom. You have to be a psychologist. <laughs> okay, if you won't do any of those, please <laughs> be a psychologist. Oh my God. Um, yeah, and you know, fortunately, my parents didn't really put that on me. Um, I think my mom did not appreciate her parents telling her that you know that they, she was very limited in the things that she was allowed to pursue. Uh, the whole point was I needed to get a degree, get a degree, and then when you know they knew I was going to get a master's, they were like, "Great, you're going to get more education." Um, my parents are very, very pro education um, in that way. But yeah, I think it's taken her, her a while to kind of. Uh, get used to the idea of me being like an actor. I mean, I remember this one time 
you know, you're a teenager, you have a fight with your mom. And she told me, she was like, you just want to be an actor because you just want to make a spectacle out of yourself, which was not true. Um, I mean, I don't think it's true. Maybe it's true now, (laughs) but like at the time it it wasn't true. Um, But, you know, and, but I think she's definitely a lot more come around to to the idea and is, is much more supportive. Mm, that's but great. it did take a while. I mean, I'm in my mid thirties, you know, and I've been doing this for you know two decades, basically. At this point, so yeah, you said your parents were really conservative, so I was like, ooh, what was what's the story there? Yeah, I mean, like I don't tell them about all the stuff that I do. I mean, there was one time I had to be quasi naked on stage for a role at yeah, um, it was a what was it? It was Big Love by Chuck Me um, mm. in grad school, and my dad was very upset that I was naked for that show. I mean, I was wearing like a flesh colored thong and no bra, like, you know, um, I was very backlit. So you barely see anything, but that was a big, that was a big deal. I mean, I, he was very mad that I had done that. Um, yeah. So, you know, so something like, and I don't have a problem being topless on stage, but if I did it I, again, like I, I just wouldn't tell my parents about it. I think I made the mistake of just like, being honest and open, like, oh, I'm doing this thing. And I think it's just, it's just better for their own personal mental health if they just don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. 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 No, definitely. Yeah. Why mention it? Why, why bring it up? <laughs> um, exactly. You, so, uh, I sent you a topic form, um, you know, kind of some of the things that, that, potentially we could go over that I didn't want you to be sidelined by a question about. Um, and I was, you know, I, th- I thought it was really well answered. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, very thoughtful. And, um, but, but I, what I did notice um, was that you mentioned, cause, cause the topics are usually are geared towards uh, women of size or women mm-hmm. whose bodies they feel have been marginalized. Um, and that's not necessarily why I contacted you, but I, I did see that you answered very honestly um, some questions about when you were, when you realized that your body was a part of uh, how people see you in like the casting process and all of that. Um, so I, you know, I think, and it's, so it's, and it's interesting because you, you know, and this is where it's, I'm going to sound really stupid, but I don't know how else to say this. Um, yeah. And I, and I don't mean it to be awkward, but, but, you know, but I'm just going to say what a lot of people think and please, it's not as bad as I'm making it sound. But to me, you look absolutely like perfectly sized, um, you know, and everybody sees everybody else in different ways than they see themselves. Um, so it was uh, intriguing to me that you had answered um, about your weight specifically. Mm-hmm. So um, I'd love to talk about that a little bit because I yeah. think it's really important to hear all kinds of perspectives on it um, because our bodies are such an important part of ourselves. And, you know, and clearly your, the, your other physical characteristics have also played a part. Um, and I don't mean to sound clinical, but it's, they're all different parts of uh, the process. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So can you, can you tell me a little bit about like when, uh, your body, whether it's weight or, um, or some other physicality 
became clear to you as a part of what you were bringing to an audition or to whatever you were doing and having feeling like that might play be playing a factor into the reaction you got. Sure. So, and you're, and the thing is like, I can objectively look at my body and I can see what other people see. Mm -hmm. But the problem is that that, that, that objectiveness doesn't last for very long. Right. Um, as a, I, I'm a, I'm a perfectionist. Like I, I get that from my mom. I know it. Um, but when I look at my body and in any weight stage that I have been at, you know, I all I see are, I, I, I focus on flaws. I mm. focus on flaws. Mm-hmm. Um, the only time, and I don't know if like saying numbers is, is triggering. So if that's, you know, if that's not kosher. Well, you um, can say it and, and, oh. and always edit it out. If okay, it great. The only time that I ever felt quote unquote thin enough was when I was significantly under a hundred pounds. Wow. The only time that I remember looking in the mirror and thinking, I look thin and I look good. Mm. Uh, That was when I was, I believe, 16 years old. When I was 15, um, so it's kind of funny, my, for whatever reason, when we go through puberty, on my dad's side of the family, when you hit 15, you gain like you get your, your baby fat just like gets, there's just more of it or whatever. Mm-hmm. So we all, like, we've all gone through like my, my siblings, my dad, we go through our whole, our fat phase. Mm-hmm. Um, just your face is fat, like your belly's fat. And then you slim down, mm-hmm. you get taller, you know, like you're, you know, you're starting to, you're going through puberty, things are changing. <laughs> um, but when I was 15, I, I, I remember looking in magazines and seeing all these long limbed tanned white girls who were very, very thin, you know, and that would have been like the two thousands, you know, or like early, like, you know, would have been like, like, you know, like seeing images from like the late nineties and yeah. the early two thousands when everyone was like, you know, real thin. And like, mm-hmm. that was the aesthetic at the time. So when you're, you know, at the, you know, when you're looking at yourself and you're like, okay, am I beautiful? This eternal question. Am I beautiful? Am I worth it? Am I worth anything? Uh, I saw, something in the mirror that said no to me. Um, and I was a healthy kid. I was very active. I was pretty athletic. I was running a, like around all the time. Um, I'm actually proud of the fact that when I was, you know, that age, like I was beating boys my age. I was like running, we'd have races and I was, I was faster than them. Mm-hmm. But then when I started looking in the mirror, I, I don't know what happened. It's like, it's like a switch went off in my brain and I was like, I have to get fit. So I just stopped eating. Like I would go, for days without food. Um, I would lie to my mom. I would say things like, I'm just not hungry or my stomach doesn't feel good or whatever. And the weight just started like falling off my body in a very fast, not healthy way at all. I didn't know it at the time. I thought it was great. Um, You know, and like, and then at that, then at the end of that, I don't know, like few months period, that's when I was way under a hundred. And I looked in the mirror and I was like, oh, I finally look good. But I was so weak. I couldn't do all the things that I had wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I, that I had been, I would play tennis and I would, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't keep up with anybody anymore. Like, and it sucked. And like, I didn't realize at the time just how damaging that was for my body. Um, and this has been kind of like an ongoing thing in my life where like this, like relationship to food has just been so toxic. You know, where it's like, these foods are good. These foods are bad. If you eat the bad foods, you're a bad person. Like this, like very 
you know, judgmental view. It's just, it's just so, so toxic. And it's taken me a very long time to kind of retrain my brain out of all these messages that were pushed at me. And the thing is like, they were pushed at me. I didn't come up with these messages myself. Like these things were like told to me, um, you know, hanging out with my girlfriends, like as a teenager and stuff, everyone's like, oh my God, I'm so fat. I'm so fat. Mm-hmm. I'm so fat. We, none of us were fat. None of us were fat. <laughs> like, it was, like, not that it even matters, but like we, you know, if we had been fat or not, because it's not like a judgment on who you are as a person, but like this, like insane obsession with how your body looks, you know? And then when I was getting into acting, I, I wanted to play Juliet. I wanted to play those like romantic princess ingenue roles. And I had never seen an ingenue that looked like she weighed more than like 120 pounds. I just, I just did not see it. I didn't see it in movies. I didn't see it on TV. I certainly didn't see it on our stages, you know? So not only was I, like you said, like, you know, my face is already Asian. Like there's nothing I can do about that. Um, so I knew that like, if I wanted to do anything about it, just I can't do right. But it was already, I already felt like I was coming from farther back from the starting line, yep, yep. you know? Mm-hmm. So I could, I was like, I cannot let my body and what it looks like hinder me any more than what my face is doing. <laughs> um, which is, Oh God, that was so, it's been so hard. Um, but yeah, like, so when I was an undergrad, like I was obsessed with like staying, you know, under a certain weight level. Um, when I went to grad school, I was a little bit worried because I had, I had gained a little bit of weight, um, when I had, you know, before I had moved there, when I was in that unhappy marriage, like I was eating my feelings and not exercising. Like, you know, cause I was just like, I'm just going to sit on this couch and be sad. Right. Uh, but when I went to Hawaii, because I didn't have a car, I just, I walked everywhere. And like, you know, living in that climate and eating nothing but avocados, basically, you know, I started and I was, you know, exercising a lot. Like I got a lot, I got a lot fitter and I got stronger and I, and I discovered that I liked the way my body felt when it was Mm -hmm. like that, when I was eating a lot of fresh food and I was actually exercising, my body felt strong. Um, and I, and I really liked that, but I, and I, but I noticed as anyone who has lost weight, you know, does is that people give you compliments. Yeah. There's just like, you know. And so it kind of feeds your ego and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I am looking good. Like I am looking sexy. I was getting divorced and I was like hot, mm. a hot divorcee, you know? <laughs> um, so I, and I, you know, so that I, 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 I was a lot more obsessed with like keeping my body healthy. I, you know, I think that that was a little bit better, but it was always with this idea that I have to look this way in order to get the rules that I want. When I moved to Chicago, it was the same thing because I, like I said, like I expected this place to be a lot more cutthroat than it is. And so I was like, okay, I have to have to look a certain way. Um, when I was in Hawaii, when I knew that I was going to be moving back to the mainland, I just started growing my hair up because I was like, ingenues have long, pretty hair. I actually hate having long hair. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. I, cut, I cut it short now because I do what I want. Um, <laughs> But I was like, I have to say fit and I have to have the long, glossy black hair because everyone else does. Um, and I mean, I would say that I think that that doesn't feel as true as it did before. And I don't know if it's just because I'm seeing more diversity on stage or if I've just like hit the, the age where I just like don't give a fuck anymore. I'm just like, this is what my body looks like. And if you don't like it, then I don't know. There's nothing, there's nothing I can do about it because I feel like 
what I have done or really tried to do is hit an, in a healthy equilibrium where I'm not starving myself. I am exercising. I am eating my vegetables. Like, you know, so it's more about trying to be healthy um, than anything else. But sometimes it's, it's difficult. I mean, there was a situation where I auditioned for a role and I, I marked this down in the your, mm-hmm. your, your form um, where I auditioned for a role and, oh man, Claire, I wanted this role so badly. I really, really wanted it. I mean, I, it's one of the, you know, it's every now and then a role or a project comes along that you're just like, I would cut my own heart out and hand mm-hmm. it to you. You would just let me do this role. Um, and it was really, really close. I got down, it was like the third callback, you know, wow. and I didn't get it. I was devastated. Um, and I remember talking to a friend of mine who had also auditioned for that project, not, not for the same role, but a different role. And she didn't get it. She didn't get her, get it either. Um, but she told me, she was like, I think the reason that you didn't get it is because you need to lose about 10 pounds. Um, and that came from her, that came from her. She told me that, um, that I needed to lose 10 pounds in order to really compete with people here in Chicago. Hmm. Um, because the actor who had gotten the role looks thinner than I do. Right. Um, and so, well, for one thing, that kind of destroyed our friendship because I was yeah. like, that is bullshit. And that's um, not our friends. Jesus. Yeah. I reject that. Um, yeah. it was, it was really hurtful to hear. I, mm. at the time I was like, oh, maybe. And it kind of like percolated in my head. I had to like, think about it for a while, yeah. you know, that like, oh no, like maybe that is the reason. But I mean, I was at a healthy weight at the time. I actually weighed less then than I do now. And I think I still look fine, you know, like, yeah. okay. um, and so I was like, and I thought about that and it was kind of a really uh, strong turning point for how I viewed my body in correlation to my career as an actor in which I was like, would I be willing to drop, you know, those 10 pounds of, you know, that I, that I don't really need to lose and maintain that, um, that lower weight in order to have a more successful career. Mm. And the thing is, if I really wanted to, I could do it. Like, but the amount of work and the amount of deprivation and unhappiness that I would have to go through to be that underweight, I just am not willing to put my body through it anymore. I'm just, I'm just not. I'm too old. (laughs) I feel like to play those, to play that game with my body with this like yo-yoing of my weight. Like I just, it's not, it's not healthy for it. I don't want to do that. And honestly, if that was the reason why I didn't get the role, then fuck it. Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to work with that kind of a person who's casting it anyway, or that, you know, that, that director who's like, Oh, these two actors are of equal talent. Let's just go with a thin one. Like, right. I don't right, want right. to work in that room. Well, and that's going to be my, my next question is as a casting director, have you ever not cast someone because of their size? Oh, Right. I mean, I would never do that unless like it was something like really specific. If the yeah. role was like, this is an emaciated, you know, yeah, yeah. Right. Person. like I'd be like, okay, we probably shouldn't yeah. hire someone who's like at a healthy weight or above because clearly right. we need bones. Right. And you wouldn't call them in. I wouldn't would even bother right. calling. I'm going to waste anyone's time. Right. So, um, no, but like, I've, I've never felt that I don't. And the thing is, like I said, like we're more critical of our own bodies than we are of other people. Cause I look at people really of all sizes and I'm like, you are hot, you are sexy. Like you look beautiful to, mm-hmm. to me. But if I look at myself in the mirror, sometimes it's, it's hard for those critical thoughts to be, to extend it sure. to myself. 
Yeah. To turn um, around on yourself. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. But for me, like I'm, I'm more looking like when I'm casting stuff, I'm more looking for talent, obviously professionalism. Those are kind of givens, but also qualities that the person is bringing and a person's size has nothing to do with like what qualities they bring to the table. It's just mm-hmm. not something that's even applicable. So why focus on it? There's just other things to deal with. So I think it's a, I think it's a waste of time. Yeah. Honestly. Is that, what, yeah. What would you tell uh, plus size actors that, you know, if you're on the other side of the table as a casting person, what advice would you give them um, as far as how to, not how to feel about themselves, but about, I don't even know how to phrase, like, what would you tell them, you know, if they feel like, oh, I can't either go for something or I'll never be called in or I didn't get it because of my size. Sure. You know, what would, like, what would... The thing is, you will never know why you didn't get the role. Like right. that's that unless someone is horrible enough to tell you exactly why you didn't get it. I mean, I remember I got told by this director one time that I was the wrong kind of Asian and that's why I didn't get the role. She straight up said that to my face. Of uh, she was like, You're better than the person I cast, but you're the wrong kind of Asian. So we had what to does go that with even her. Mean? I don't know. Anyway, like mm-hmm. that that's a whole other thing. But generally speaking, you will never know why you didn't get it. Mm-hmm. You know? And like I said, like if if the room that you were in was not welcoming to you and you didn't get cast because of your size, you don't want to work. I don't think you want to work there anyway, which mm-hmm. may not be very helpful because I mean, I feel like people being discriminatory against those who are, you know, plus size or of larger size is still acceptable, right? Like oh, society, like generally speaking, understands that racism is wrong, mm-hmm. right? You mm-hmm. like overall. But mm-hmm. being fat phobic is like still socially acceptable. Mm-hmm. Like you can you can say these like nasty fat jokes or whatever, and people will laugh and not really call people out for it in the same way, which is right. ah, frustrating. I yeah. hope that we're moving in a better direction, um, and that it you know farther down the line that we can look back and be like, oh wow, like we really fucked up back then, but we don't do that anymore. Thank God. Um, ugh, there's always room for progress, I suppose. Yeah, but I don't. That's a really great question. I, I wish I had like a better answer than than just keep trying. I mean, yeah. the thing is, I and I do this as you know a person of color is that like I don't think there's anything wrong with emailing the casting director and saying specifically, I want to read for this role. Mm. I do it all the time, even mm. for roles that I'm like I probably will not get that role <laughs> or even audition for it. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I once did, did it when um, there was a production here in Chicago where uh, they were doing the, they're doing Othello. Mm. And I, you know, they, I, I submitted my materials. They asked me to read for Bianca. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to ask. So I asked to read for Iago. I was like, I don't think they're going to let me do it. Oh I'm an God. Asian woman. I have never heard of an Asian woman playing Iago before. Like, oh, what a role. Holy what shit. a role. It's a great role. I mean, there's more lines for Iago than there are for Hamlet. It's, it's <laughs> wild. So I, I, but they let me, they let me read for it because I asked. There was yeah. no way that they would have just offered it to me. Right. I had to ask. So I asked and I actually got the role, you know, because oh I, you know, I, I went to callbacks and I was sitting there with all these white dudes and I was like, I'm <gasps> going to beat out every single one of you oh fuckers. Um, and, I, and they, they gave, they gave it to me. Um, And I wanted, but I wouldn't have gotten it if I hadn't asked. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, for all people, if you see a role, you know, if you're a larger actor and you see that they're casting for Romeo and Juliet and you want to play that role, 
ask, just ask. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes when you ask, I mean, if the cast director is not like a total dickhead, they're not going to be like, you know what? I don't want to see that person because they're too big or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like they, it might actually challenge them to confront their own biases. Mm -hmm. Like we said before, because somebody else brought it to their attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When somebody else brings it up, then you try to like do it all yourself. Like it's just impossible. Right. And maybe Um, you don't have those other people in the room to say, Hey, consider all these other people. You know, you don't know what the situation is. So maybe they do need that. That nudge. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, ask, Mm. just ask, just ask us. I mean, somebody, if somebody came to me and was like, listen, like I'm really keen on auditioning for this role. I would be like, absolutely. Send me a tape. Like no harm. Yeah. Like, please, please show me what you've got. Like, I mean, my whole job as a casting director is to solve problems. And I am praying anytime someone, you know, either comes in the room or sends me a tape that like, this is going to be the answer to this problem. I think a lot of actors kind of forget that. Like, we want you to do well. We want you to succeed and to shine and, you know, to do the thing to the best of your ability. And we want you to, you know, show us what you're going to bring to the table. Um, I think it's just really important. Do you, when you go and audition, do you uh, have to remind yourself that the person behind the table <laughs> wants you to win and that is not sitting there judging you going, oh, God. I mean, I definitely say that my perspective has changed since being a casting director. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, before I was like, okay, I just have to be like, I have to figure out like exactly what they want. And then I will be that thing so that they will know that I am going to fit into this little box yeah. that I'm assuming yes. that you want. We all no. do that. What is that? We all do that because we're trying, it's like, you know, it's like a puzzle. You get the, you get the breakdown, you read the play and you're like, okay, what do I think they want? As opposed mm-hmm. to how would I actually play this role if I got it? Mm-hmm. You know, and then showing them that, and maybe that's not what they're thinking of exactly. But I, I cannot tell you that it it has happened so many times where you know we've had I've had conversations with the director. They have told me what they're looking for, how they want a certain role to go, how you know whatever, and then a person will come in and do something totally different because it's just how they are approaching the work from their own original point of view. Yeah, and then it like you know, blows up the entire viewpoint that we originally had. And it opens the play up in a new, fresh way, just because people are being themselves. Mm. And I think that that's so much more interesting than seeing a person try to come in and try to solve this problem of like, okay, what do you want? I'm going to try to convince you that I'm the person that can be like how I think you want it to mm-hmm. go. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has definitely changed my perspective on how I approach auditions. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's good. It's true though. We, I mean, I can't, I I don't think I have met another actor that doesn't go through that, you know, and, and luckily we're, well, at a certain point you kind of feel, you kind of realize that that's not the way to approach it. But I think because I think the conundrum is as an actor, you're speaking someone else's words, you're taking Mm -hmm. someone else's direction. Therefore you have to try to fit yourself into that. Um, you're not being asked to do a one, one woman show that where it's just Claire on the stage, you're being this character. So it's, it's just, it's so foreign to us to know and to go in and approach it as in I am enough. Like I'm, they're calling me in because they like me 
mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. and they and I can bring some something very unique to this that no one else can, even if we deliver it the exact same way. Um, and it's so hard because we're so used to being told what to do and mm-hmm. uh, and what to be to kind of have that same confidence in what who we are and bring just as much of that to an audition um you know and i think people that um feel marginalized uh for whatever reason whether it's age size race culture gender identity whatever it is they have that added complication and that they and challenge that they need to navigate on top of it. I mean, I can only imagine what uh a trans person might feel mm-hmm. going in for something and being like at, at least, you know, and again, I can only imagine. I I right. right. But I, you know, like who am I, you know, do they see me as a woman here? Do they see me as a man? If if I'm if the role is female, do you, am I too masculine? You know, like I can only imagine what they have to go through. Um, and then also try to bring themselves. I just, it's such a complicated, you know, people just think, oh, you go and act. What? You're just reading, you know, how did you memorize all those lines? I love that that's the first question that people ask, like, after they see the I show, like, oh, are you kidding me? That's the, the easiest <laughs> part. Are you nuts? What about, didn't you see me rip my heart out? (laughs) What? (laughs) I got my monologue. God. Um, Yeah, it's just really complicated. Um, I don't know. I just feel like there's, there's, there's space for us to work on diversifying in every sense of the word, Mm -hmm. you know, in Mm -hmm. every way. Clearly, race absolutely needs to be addressed. Um, but there's, you know, people, somebody brought up height the other day. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, that's a very specific journey as well. What if you're a tall woman? Like, I spoke to someone who I think is, like, at least six feet. And she was like, do you have any idea what that's been like? You know, do you, do you even if I were thin, do you think they would cast me as an ingenue? No. It just blew my mind that, yeah, I mean, and that's not considered a flaw mm-hmm. you know, in mm-hmm. normal society, but mm-hmm. yet in in the industry, it's not part of the cookie cutter. Um, yeah, the mold. Um, yeah, it's just really, really interesting how intricate the whole thing is. And everybody seems to be affected by it in some way. It's true. It's true. Like, I'm, I'm only 5'1", like barely. So I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty short. Um, and I mean, there have been times where, you know, I'm reading with, you know, I'll, they'll have, I've been in callbacks where I'm reading with the guy, right. You know, we're reading opposite and I'm like, you are so tall, <laughs> so tall. And then I, you know, I won't get it. And then sometimes I wonder if it's because I'm just short, I'm just yeah. too short for, you know, if they thought that that height difference was weird, which is so ridiculous because yeah. I, I don't, I'd never dated anyone really over that was under six feet. So like <laughs> I'm used to, you know, tall dudes. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, like, I think you're right. Like, I mean, I haven't, the height issue is like interesting to me because it's, it's not something that I would really ever think of. I mean, I also like norm busting anyway, though. Like I would be much more inclined to try to, you know, for like romantic leads to hire a short dude and a tall woman, just wow. because I think that like, that dynamic is just fascinating. Yeah. Um, then like the typical, like shorter woman who's like three inches shorter than the guy or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that like, I know in film, that's something that, that people do think about, like, what is your height, you know, because they're trying to do like camera levels and stuff. So having leads that are, you know, similar in height is a lot easier than, you know, having to get the box out for you to stand on. <laughs> I've been through that. <laughs> yeah, the box. Get three of them, you know, know. Like, come on. <laughs> Um, all right. Switching gears a little bit. What if you could, yeah. What's your dream role? Let's just get, I'm just going to go straight for that. Sure. So, um, and I've been saying this for years, but there is a play by Rajiv Joseph called gruesome playground injuries. And I have been wanting to play the role of Kayleen for years now. I mean, that, that play is so just so beautiful. And I can't remember if I read it right before I went to grad school or like right when I got to grad school, but it just really inspired me. I felt seen in a way that I um, hadn't really by any other contemporary fiction or play. Um, But it's all about uh, pain and how people process pain and outer pain versus inner pain. And the character Kayleen deals with a lot of inner pain um, and she copes with it by starving herself by mm. abusing her body um i think she even like she's like she becomes a cutter at one point alcoholism there's just a lot of like self-harm that she does to herself in order to combat all these um i'm sorry this is like really dark but mm. all these, these inner demons that, that she has and i really understood that i'm the type of person that when i experience pain i try to shove it down deep pretend it doesn't exist and then try to cope in sometimes very unhealthy ways. Um, so yeah, it is, it's a, it's a two-hander. It's a, it's a one act. It's a beautiful, beautiful play. Um, somebody the other day was like, oh, that play, it's so overdone. And I was like, no, it can't be overdone yet because I haven't had a chance to play it. this well. I haven't done it. It is not overdone until, yeah, until I'm done it. <laughs> and then it's going to be overdone. It's fine. Um, yeah, and then I, I would say, I mean, I was an ingenue. I once, I don't know if I am anymore, but you know, I, I always wanted to play Juliet. I think that the language of Romeo and Juliet, there are so many, that play is so problematic, but I still like love a lot, a lot of it, but the language is so beautiful. There's just something so engaging about a lot of the scenes between Romeo and Juliet that I just find just beautiful. I don't know. I'm probably calling it dragged by people to hear me say that. Cause I'll be like, Oh, that play is so dumb. Um, <laughs> but I, I love it. I love it. Um, and then uh, Lady Macbeth, I think that that is kind of on the top of a lot of people that love to do classical work. Um, if you're if you're a woman or even if you're a man, um, you know, I think a lot of her like her her dialogue and, and soliloquies are just gorgeous. Like the language play is phenomenal. Mm. Um, yeah. So those are those are kind of my my top ones. I mean, it's a thing where I feel like where I, I succeed best as an actor is when I'm playing strong, intelligent women. Um, so anything in that vein, I'm always like super interested in. 
And so I wonder if that's why, you know, when I was a lot younger, I just didn't feel like I was doing the work in the way that I wanted to, because, you know, because you, you play a lot of the roles that you are offered as a 20 year old woman. It's just, a lot of them are so poorly written. Like these characters are nothing. Like I, when I was in grad school, uh, not to knock this play, but I was in, I was in Oklahoma and I played Lori and you know, I'm a singer. I can sing well. The songs are beautiful. Um, the story is basic AF, but like, I just remember there just wasn't a lot of like, there wasn't like a real arc, you know, like I was like, I don't know what the objective of this character really is. And I didn't know if I was just being a stupid actor. Like I just couldn't like figure out or if, or if it was just the fact that this character is just kind of written to be fairly two dimensional. I mean, it's written by like two dudes. So I don't know that they really understand how women think or talk. Um, but I was doing that play at the same time that I was rehearsing Stop Kiss. And that was a totally different experience. You know, oh, yeah. like I, um, I, I got to play uh, Sarah and and Stop Kiss, and I was like, "This is a smart, beautiful play." I, I, the, the characters are very well fleshed out. They're very three D. Um, there's a lot of heartbreak in that. There's just a lot. There's a lot of things you can like sink your teeth into as an actor for that in that in that show. So, um, so it was, and it was interesting that I was literally rehearsing both shows at the same time, which was. I don't recommend anyone do that. Don't do that. It's a really bad idea. Um, but I was my first like semester in grad school and I was like, this is fine. I can do it. I just didn't sleep. Um, but having those two experiences back to back was really eye opening mm. to me as far as what kinds of things I want to do versus I don't want to do. And I, I generally figured out that like, I don't really want to do musical theater. I mean, there are some musical theater pieces that are very deep and the, Characters are a little bit more fleshed out, but generally speaking, I'm like, I just don't think that the, um, the quality and the, co the caliber of characters written for women is at the same level yet. Would you consider yourself, uh, drawn to more classical pieces or contemporary? You know, as I've gotten older, I feel like the draw for contemporary pieces is there. I mean, I, I was much more into classical work. Um, I still would really love to play some of those Greek characters, you know, like Clytemnestra. That would be just, I would love to play that role. Um, but I, I feel like with a lot of contemporary plays, I, it just feels a lot more relevant. Like sometimes I, I see some, you know, classical works that are trying to be relevant and they're trying just a little too hard, you know, where, you know, some of them, I'm like, they were just written for the time that they were, that they're in, you know, and that's, you don't need to put them in the 60s to try to make them relevant to today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just change the costumes and the sets and right. all of a sudden. Yeah. All right, fine. We've, we've contemporized it. Um, but yeah, no, I think contemporary works, especially since, you know, as an Asian actor, I don't really know of that many like classical Asian plays that, you know, that I would be able to do. I mean, I'm not, I'm not Chinese. I don't speak Chinese. I'm not going to go do Jingju in Chinese, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I think the older I get, the more I'm interested in, in contemporary work. Mm -hmm. Um, who, well, when you did stop kiss, who directed it? Was it a man or a woman? Um, a nine non-binary person. Actually. Oh, fabulous. Her name is, uh, Lee Stone. They live in, uh, they live in Canada now. They're, they're a dear friend of mine. It was one of the best experiences I had in Hawaii I was working on that show with them. So, and forgive me for just saying man or woman, because. 
no, 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 it's okay. But yeah, okay. no, I was just curious if it was like a male identifying person or a female identifying person, or you know, neither or both. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, it's just one of those that I I think would be, and I could be wrong. A bit of a a bit of a stretch for a male identifying person. Um, although I am curious to see, you know, if and who would be able to tackle it in a in a truly mm-hmm. respectful, mm-hmm. sensitive way. Um, yeah, I was just curious. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing with like directing is that it all has to do with expertise. I mean, I I was I was at a talk that Jess McLeod um, was at, and she was talking about how she picks what plays she directs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found that very inspiring, actually, because I think it translates over to, you know, any aspect of what we do in the theater. And it all has to do with expertise. Like, I don't have any, she was like, I don't have any expertise as to what it means to be Black in America. Therefore, I should not be directing any August Wilson plays. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then she gave the example. She's like, I may not know what it means to be a prince in Denmark, but I know what it's like to be betrayed. I know what it's like to, you know, have like family conflict. I know what it's like to question whether you're, I don't know if she said this, but like, there's a lot of things that you can kind of glean from plays. Like, you know, do I have expertise in this? And if you don't have that expertise, like Stop Kiss is about a lesbian experience. So if you're a man, I would say that you are not qualified probably to direct that because you don't have any expertise mm-hmm. in that world or in that, you know, it just, I just, you just don't. So yeah. Perfectly well put. Yeah. Cause that that's, and yeah, expertise. I think you don't, you just don't have the familiarity that's needed. No. Uh, and I'd be curious to see what you would do with it. Not having that familiarity, but I, yeah, I don't know that. I don't know. Maybe well, the thing is we've seen these plays and we've seen the movies right. where people don't have the expertise right. and then they try to make the thing and you're like, wow, this is so incredibly tone deaf. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so <laughs> mm-hmm. that's true. Yeah, we've had enough of that. I think that's. I think we're good. Yeah, I think we're. <laughs> let's cut that off, please. It's, it's, it's happened before. Like it's been done before. <laughs> um. So here's something that I ask people, and it sounds like a job interview question, Ooh. but I genuinely, um, where, <laughs> where do you see yourself in five years? Like, what do you see yourself doing? Sure. Um, well, if I'm not in New Zealand, which I uh, see you there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I really want to be an artistic director of a theater company. That has kind of been my goal since I was in high school, um, Mm. was to be, was to be the leader of a theater company. Um, I have a lot of opinions and I feel like, you know, being in leadership and having power, you know, to, amplify whatever opinions I have on what stories we should and should not be telling um, is where my heart has been drawn for so many years. And I feel like, you know, I've been, I, I, I've said for a while now, I'm like, I will be an actor to the end of time. Um, but I think that as women, and I hate to say it, but I, I call it the expiration date. Mm-hmm. And that's not something that I personally believe, but it's what, like, as, a, as an industry seems to believe where, like, you hit 35, 40, and the, the number of roles, the quality of the roles, they just go down, um, which is unfortunate and I think incredibly sexist and unfair because no man has to deal with that. You can act as a man at any age, and you have lots of roles to, to, mm-hmm. to you know, to pick from. Um, but I feel like 
my leadership skills, my organizational skills, and just my the way my personality is, I feel like being an artistic director is my dream, mm-hmm. you know? And it, it's not to bully people around or to like boss anybody, you know, to do this or that. But I think that what this world needs is a lot more cultivation of talent, mm-hmm. cultivation of diverse talent, of diverse voices. The older I get, the more I just see that need festering. Um, and so I, I, that's just, that's really just what I want to do, you know, to create a place where actors and designers and artists can really flourish and have a place where they can continuously work on their craft and become the best artists that they can and to produce their best work. I remember there was an interview, I believe with Sir Ian McKellen, who said that kind of this like death of um, repertory theaters where you have like an ensemble that grows up, literally ages together, creates shows together, and you're constantly working, um, has been very detrimental for actors and that it's harder for us now, our generation, to become the best actors that we can be because there's just so much time in between when we're working on projects where you're not continuously honing your craft. Um, and he was like, that's why you know, he's like, you don't, you're not really gonna see in this next generation, any Alorids Olivier's, you're not gonna see any Judy Dench's because we just don't have that opportunity to get in with a company and then just be there for 20, 30, 40 years. Wow. Oh, you know, it's, it's the same as like when you're like mastering your craft, like it takes, you know, they say like 10,000 hours. And I say with acting, I think it's even more, of course, it's bigger. Um, but like that, like that is the kind of company that I would want to build, a place where people could could come in and stay and continuously, if they wanted to, you know, and they could continuously work so that they could become the best, the best versions of themselves as possible. I mean, when I was in Hawaii, one of my, the best things about going to UH was I was given a GA ship. So I was teaching undergraduate classes for um, typically like, you know, freshmen and sophomores. And at the time I was, you know, I was acting a lot and I was satisfying as satisfying as, you know, doing the work is, but it was really just incredible to see a person, an actor that I would train for, you know, six months or whatever, the kind of person that they were at the beginning to the person they were at the end, I was sometimes blown away. And I could see what acting and being working with an ensemble for a long amount of time can do for a person, not just their acting skill or ability, but this kind of community that you that you build and um, create with each other and the memories you make. I just think it's amazing. I actually had two of the, two of my students, they got married. They were in my oh. class. Like it's, you know, I, there was a, there was a, uh, a dancer that was in one of my classes where her first, like um, her first day, she was so nervous. She couldn't say her name out loud. Oh my gosh. Circle and she could barely get her name out. And I was like, all right, you are my pet project. <laughs> Um, and you know, I will admit I pushed her. I, 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 I never overstepped that I, but I didn't like just step back and be like, okay, whenever you're ready, I didn't do that. I kind of tried to kind of keep it in between to challenge her, but also make sure that she knew that this was a safe environment in which she could grow. Mm -hmm. And by the end of it, 
She did a monologue in front of her class. She did an entire dance routine as a bonus, just because she asked her, like, hey, can I do this dance routine just for fun? And I was like, sure, go for it. And it was incredible. The the change that I saw in this person's personality, it was amazing. Um, Yeah, so like creating then fostering that kind of environment, I think it's just so, it's so precious and not, not like, oh, it's precious kind of a way, but it's, it can be rather fragile. And it's just something that I, that I want to build and to grow. I had an experience um, that was similar to that when I did school at Steppenwolf in 2019, mm. um, where, you know, we, for 10 weeks, we were in an ensemble and creating work and really being challenged. Like every, I was crying literally every day because oh um, you're just being pushed and you're being pushed and you're working and you're exhausted and you keep working. Um, but you have this like family that you're doing this with yeah. and everyone's having these same mind-blowing experiences all together and it was you know i i'm like this is how cults get started but um <laughs> so somebody kept, kept joking about but you know we built an ensemble that i you know believed could take over the world you know the way the, the kind of work that we were able to do and push each other to do and now we learned how to make i was like this is what art this is what making art should be like and especially for theater that is so community based. Mm, mm-hmm. This is this is how it should function. Right. Oh. Well, if you ever need a middle-aged <laughs> cis white woman <laughs> with a fun personality, <laughs> I want to be part of that. Yes. <laughs> that sounds absolutely Oh, amazing. And just, yeah, yeah just, to ha- oh God. It, uh, yeah. I love yeah, that. that. That's my big dream. And I, I keep saying that, you know, I just, I want to be Anna Shapiro basically. Yeah. You know, like, I want to run like a, a like a, a rep, a, like a, an ensemble based rep theater that, um, yeah, that just produces really good work and has good people working in the ensemble. Yeah. So I don't yeah. know how I'm going to accomplish this, but like, that's, well, that's that, that is my ultimate goal. I think putting it out there is the start because you never know kind of what will come back to you. Um, do you see like is Steppenwolf kind of uh, an example of what you think that could be? Or I mean, are there any other theater companies that you think are close to that? You know, I mean, I think a lot of people look at Steppenwolf as like the pinnacle of what ensemble theater should look like and and for good reason, you know, Um like how they got their start. It was like, you know, a core group of actors that, you know, they were like going on to create gritty theater in a church basement. I think like what, what's like the coolest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Um, you know, to go on and to create like kind of work, the work that they have. I mean, I think that it's, it's, it's really impressive. Um, I mean, I don't want to like take them to task, but I do wish that their ensemble was a lot more diverse. I know that they are aware that that's something that they, that they, and they are addressing. Uh, but I'm also like, you need to do it faster because mm-hmm. like you should have done this. How yeah. many decades ago? Yeah. Um, but that's, 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 I mean, I, I love Steppenwolf's work and like I went to their school, so I probably shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I'm trying to think really, I mean, like, you know, there are companies in the, in the city that do a lot of like ensemble based stuff. Like, um, I'm a really big fan of, of, uh, red tape theater. Yep. Um, I think everything that I've seen there has been so visceral i always leave there feeling like i just stepped off a ship <laughs> i can't find my footing i'm like i just went on a journey wow. um i i, I love their i love their work 
work. Um, I, I would say the same for, for Broken Nose Theater. I, I, I feel the same way when I when I see their work. Um, and of course, Straw Dog, because I work there. Uh, I'm not an actor there, but you know, I, I, I really, I love this camaraderie that we all have with each other. I was able to join the ensemble because we kind of changed how things function. And I'm, I'm a part of the ensemble at, at Straw Dog now. And um, it's just really great working with, a, with you know, like-minded individuals that we're all trying to one, we're trying to survive. I mean, like, you know, that's been the kind of the big thing is, you know, trying to, trying to survive it. But, um, yeah. And I, and I know that theater can very much follow a capitalist model, you know, it's like, do you have the money to make the art that you want to do? I mean, it's, it's the eternal battle. Is it, do you do it for the money or do you do it for the art? And, um, yeah, I mean, the thing is that I, I'm a so I'm a socialist, so I mean I I feel like the government should give us money in order to to make the art that we need to um, like they do in Germany, and it's possible. Um, but I think it would be if I were to you know have a theater company like that, like I would really want to ensure that not only would we be financially solvent, but we would also be able to pay our artists what they deserve. You know, and I think that that's a big conversation that has been going you know through the community. I mean, it has for a while, but especially with the pandemic, because we all have all this downtime to really sit and examine like what did we just do what what have, what practices have we been doing that we can you know leave in the past and i think that you know equity and pay is something we really need to be able to address but i i also understand that it's difficult because a lot of theaters i mean we don't have, we've never been in the business of just making money yeah. you know generally speaking um unless you're like a large commercial theater but that's like an entirely different ball game um but it's but it's a thing where you know we need to be figuring out how to how to pay our artists what they deserve mm -hmm. you know and it and if we can't then find other ways to compensate people for the work that they do you know like i've i've one a conversation that i've been really interested in recently is this idea of abolishing 10 out of 12s yes days, right mm -hmm. because it's a lot it's a big ask I mean, for the actors, it's hard because you're there for 10 hours. The tech people are there like 16 hours a day. Mm -hmm. How much are you paying them? Are they getting paid like 500 bucks to do a show? Maybe if they're lucky, like that's outrageous. They're getting, you know, by hour, it's like a dollar 16. Like it's, that's so sad. And uh, like, not only just sad, just like inappropriate. Like it's, mm -hmm. in, you know, and I know that, like I said, like I know theaters have not um, had the money in the past, but I think resource pooling should be something that we should consider. Like I'm a big fan of like, especially like non-union theaters doing co-productions. Like if you don't have the money yourself to do a production, why don't you get involved with another theater that has similar values to you, produces similar kinds of work, pool your resources, and then be able to pay the people mm. working there. Anyway, Ooh, I can go on I like the whole thing about that, but Ooh, yeah. It's good. Manifesto, girl. That's amazing. Yeah, do it. Well, there you go. There's I have a lot of opinions. <laughs> we all do. We can we complain about a lot of things. We but. all do. I just love. I just love the theater. I mean, my heart is in the theater. I will always be in the theater, no matter no matter what. Like I, I know that, and I just I want to see the people that are involved in it. I want to see them succeed, and I want to see them taken care of. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that the time when actors were told that it was it was okay if you suffered a mental breakdown while doing a show or it's fine if you're like hurting yourself every night because 
you know, it's an unsafe stage. You have to do it for the art. Like, I think those days are over and done with. Like I, one of my favorite professors in grad school, he was very old. He was in his eighties. And uh, he told us about how he used to do this show called um, Action in the Afternoon or Adventure in the Afternoon. And basically what it was, it was a live TV show. It was like, I mean, this is really offensive, but Cowboys and Indians type mm-hmm. of show. Mm-hmm. Um, where people were, they would just put the camera and you're like, all right, go. And um, it would be live. And they would have the bar fights that they would have. They were actual bar fights. They were actually <laughs> swinging and hitting each other. <laughs> which no stage combat they're just like all right you know and then he told us about there was one actor who hated these fights and so he would always he would be the actor diving under the table <laughs> hiding and they knew this and so one time they like pulled the dude out and like beat him up and i was like that's How is that's not professional or there was a time where you know my my teacher was told to just fall off this wagon that was like riding along you know in the desert he was like you want me to just fall they're like yeah just just so you're just going to fall off. You're going to like leap off. There was no padding, like that, like nothing. You were just expected to do the thing. And like, I just think we have come, we, we've come so far from that. But like, I think we even need to go yeah. even further, you know, where people's like safety, like you should not be. And that, that applies obviously to mental health as well. It's not just, you know, people like joke around like, oh, you know, if you play Hamlet, you'll have a mental breakdown. Why does that need to be the case? Right. Why on earth is that like an acceptable standard that we're like, not only saying is fine, but also being like, you're not doing the role right if you're not having a mental breakdown. Right. Oh my God. Anyway. Oh, only a good actor would have a mental breakdown. Exactly. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And you know what? I've done that before. Like when I was in grad school, I was like, this is the time to try everything. And I, I did the thing where I, you know, basically like pushed myself into a mental, like bad, like mental health to, to do a role because I thought that that was what I was supposed to do. And it sucked. And I didn't do any better. In fact, I would argue that I did worse than if I had had, you know, resources to keep my mental health at a good level versus being like, no, I have to suffer for my art. Oh, God. We need yeah. to get rid of that. We yeah, that. absolutely. Absolutely. I totally agree. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? <gasps> I haven't asked. Uh, I don't think so. I think we've touched on a lot of things that I clearly have very strong opinions <laughs> on. Um, I love. I, know, I could literally go on forever, but like, it, like my, my utopia of what I want the theater world to to look like. Now, um, somebody do it. Uh, do it. <laughs> I'll help you. Um, but you know, I was really inspired actually when I was watching the inauguration, mm-hmm. um, and I can't remember who it was. I'm so sorry, but somebody was talking about how the point, and maybe it was probably Joe Biden, but that the point is, is not to have a perfect union, but to have a more perfect union. And like that, like that term is having the more in there makes it a lot more applicable because nothing is perfect. If, if humans have their hands in it, it will not be perfect. We yeah. are not perfect by any means, as much as we might really try. Um, so I don't think the point is to create perfect theater, but I think more perfect theater. Mm-hmm. And that's something we can all strive towards, no matter what area of the theater you work in, whether you're an actor or casting director, mm-hmm. you know, you're, no matter what budget your theater, no matter what budget you can, you can strive for more, uh, parity, equity, and, and diversity. Absolutely. Well, you have been amazing. I'm really glad that I reached out and, and that you agreed to do this because it's, you've definitely, uh, taught me a lot 
this has been incredibly educational. Um, It's been an eye-opening experience in a lot of ways. And um, I really appreciate you taking the time to share these things with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Like, it's obviously like a really um, great opportunity to to meet you, like yeah. you know, kind of face to face is great. Um, <laughs> talk about these things. I mean, I, I've, I'm always excited. Anytime anyone wants to talk to me about these topics, um, just because I think it's important that we talk about them rather than just, you know, and I, and I think that there's a lot of mystery to the, especially like what, what happens with casting, you know, cause yeah. actors don't, a lot of us, we don't know exactly what's going on, like behind the scenes. So I think anytime I'm able to kind of talk about it is, can be very helpful. Yeah. And I think I, I, you know, and it's interesting, a lot of casting, pretty much any cast or director that I've heard asked these questions have all answered the same where it's just like it, we don't even think about that stuff when we're watching you, you know, we, we called you in because we like you and we think you're talented. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then we hope that you will make my job easier <laughs> by, by having us, you know, have being right for it. Um, it's never, yeah. and I don't, you know, it's a shame that society has uh, conditioned us to think that there is something wrong with us if we don't um, have the perfect body, the perfect whatever. Um, and I would I would hazard a guess that even people that have the quote unquote perfect body also face their own challenges mm-hmm. and not an easy ride either. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we have a lot of work to do. I agree. Um, thank you so much. Uh, this has been great. This has been really, really helpful. And, um, I just, yeah, I love your perspective and your voice. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. This episode has two calls to action. The first of Carissa's highlighted organizations is Asian Americans Advancing Justice, who advocate for policies that protect and uplift immigrants, Asian Americans, and other communities of color. They develop grassroots leaders to lead campaigns to achieve racial equity, organize civic engagement initiatives, implement locally-led bystander intervention trainings for community members, and hold professional development workshops to introduce K-12 through educators to Asian American-centered themes and teaching resources to incorporate into their teaching. Their website is www.advancingjustice-chicago.org. The second organization is Felines and Canines, which is a local animal organization dedicated to providing a safe and loving shelter to abandoned, injured, abused, and neglected animals until their permanent adoptive homes are found. They strengthen the human-animal relationship through counseling, education, and compassion. And I know that Carissa just got her newest family member from felines and canines. So that's definitely a vote of confidence for them. Their website is www.felinescanines.org. Since this recording, Carissa has been very busy. Her dream of being an artistic director of a theater company became reality when she and a group of fellow School at Steppenwolf alums created Bramble Theater, which will focus on diversity, American multiculturalism, and the development of new work. She also penned the play on The Green Belt, which is currently on stage at Straw Dog Theater Company. 
Carissa has also hinted at some more exciting things on the works, so keep an eye out for more from her. I'm really grateful for Carissa's stories and perspective, and one of the many things that stuck with me was the question, how do you compensate artists when you're not in the business of making money, which in theory is most creative entities? If art is the focus, yet the artists live in a world where their reality is the same as folks who do get compensated for their work, how do you survive? How much can art take care of you? How does art put food on the table or pay your bills if it's not compensating you in tangible ways? This is uh, personally a question I've really been grappling a lot with lately, as a lot of my friends know, and I mean, especially as a mom of two kids, we have bills to pay and can only devote so much time to non-monetary endeavors, but I guess we'll save that for another episode. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Big Bones, Thick Skin, and thank you to Carissa Morell Myers for her passion and honesty and advocacy. Thank you also to the lovely Eric Backus for his perfect music. Meredith Montgomery, who captured the heart and soul of BBTS in the artwork, and Amelia Driscoll with Summit Podcasting for her enthusiastic and tireless editing help. Help us out and subscribe for more honest, thought-provoking, and occasionally funny conversations with me and my guests. And thanks for listening to Big Bones Thick Skin.